Welcome to Raw Roast, where we have real conversation about faith and life over a good cup of coffee. My name is Tucker Anderson, and I am your host. I'm here with our senior pastor, Sean Winters. Good to be here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being on with us. And our engagement pastor, Ben Tyvel. Thanks for being on with us, Ben. It's good to be here. The topic that I want to talk about today is this idea of a post-truth culture. Uh, Sometimes we use the phrase post-enlightenment culture. Um, the idea that uh, there, there isn't this truth with a capital T, but there's also been this language around the idea of a post-truth culture that uh, our feelings and our emotions really drive what's true, uh, and we can't uh, re- reject anybody's emotions or feelings, and so it really broadens this idea of truth out to um, really en- encompass anything that, that someone would feel to be true. Where, where have you seen this in your own experience, in your own interactions with, with others, maybe even in your own life? It's a great question, and, and there is this uh, dynamic where in, in most things in life, so your favorite baseball team, um, you know, your favorite food, th- those really work well in this idea of, well, what's good for you versus what's good for me. But then when it comes to issues of, of life and truth and faith, then it becomes much more difficult to say, hey, what's good for you um, and what's good for me and to try to support an idea that there isn't an absolute. And, and then that becomes very awkward, I, I think. Yeah, I agree with you, Sean. So there, there are questions that certainly are a matter of taste. I was just uh, with my family. We were celebrating my, my daughter's fifth birthday. Um, and they get, you know, she got free ice cream. She got to choose any flavor she wanted to. I mean, certainly those are things that are a matter of taste. But then there are other questions of life that aren't merely just a matter of taste, or they shouldn't be a matter of taste um, if they are the ultimate questions of life. I was just having a conversation with, uh, with someone this past week, and uh, it got me thinking about this question of, is, are these big questions of life just a matter of taste? And one of the things that he said was uh, his, the spirituality that uh, he practices works for him. Hmm. Uh, how would how would you respond to someone who says, you know what, my my spirituality, my spiritual practices that I have put in place, they work for me? Yeah, those are challenging conversations, and what, what I have found is not so much to try to kind of discern whether it's really working. You know, I mean that, that's where my my heart goes. Well, you know, let me try and shoot holes in that argument, but rather just ask questions about how and why and in what ways they see it working. And then ask if I could just, you know, share some of my thoughts and what seems to work for me. And then I move towards a point where I slowly introduce Scripture as the foundation. And what I try to do in that is just kind of subtly say, hey, there's something outside of me that I go to as a guidebook. And, and that seems to help. Um, you know, th- this is what the, the Bible says and... And then, then we can have a conversation around the Bible, which is a really helpful place to move. I, I don't know, Ben, how about you? Yeah, I've, I've had a similar approach uh, over the years, having a lot of different conversations, especially when I used to work uh, for work in mental health and I was as a chaplain. And so I had lots of different conversations around, a, you know, with folks coming from a lot of different walks of life. And what I found uh, to be helpful in ways of approaching that conversation was uh, was similar in that I would ask lots of questions. And I think just getting to know the other person and, and allowing them the space to talk about what they believe is really important. Mm-hmm. And 
because I think about my own life, and I also really covet that that space to be able to just talk through what I believe. And so I would approach it that way, uh, finding ways to ask good questions. And then, you know, a lot of times I would, what ended up happening is I would be invited in to that conversation once they were given, um, you know, kind of enough time to just talk through what they believe. They're oftentimes, because I think I was listening and intently and I genuinely care about what they think and I wasn't trying to force anything on them, they were much more apt to then invite uh, invite me into that conversation. And so it wasn't me kind of forcing my way in. Uh, but some of the, some of the uh, questions I would ask ended up being around like big, big kinds of ideas. You know, where, where do you believe we've come from? Like, you know, what mm-hmm. kind of belief do you have about where we're going? Those kinds of questions tend to spur on then other deeper uh, questions as well. I was just thinking, um, and let, let me ask the both of you this, but um, it, it seems like when we start from the standpoint of someone has an idea that works for them and I have an idea that works for me, the reality of life is that things don't go well. And right. it's like, how, how, do you, how do you kind of deal with the things that don't go well and the fact that your system isn't working and sometimes my system doesn't seem to be working? Mm-hmm. Like, like sometimes moving to that place of saying, <laughs> we both are stumbling through and there's pain. So, so where does that make sense? Or how does that make sense? I, I had a conversation with a, with a close friend of mine around the loss of life and just dealing with painful, um, the painful experience of a, of a family member dying. And as I talked about my perspective towards my father's death and the faith that my dad had that, that I don't, you know, I don't know how he had it. I don't know why, but the Bible says, and he grabbed hold. And but just in this this awkward, like I don't know, and I'm struggling too. Um, it it opened up a whole new conversation because life is hard. I, I don't know. Does that make sense? So you're saying that there comes to there comes a point in our life where what we think is working no longer works, or it doesn't it doesn't it's not able to carry the weight of some of these hard questions or hard moments of life. Yeah, and I think that's true for Christians as well as oh, those sure. who are not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the willingness to step into that space, Sean, like like you're saying, is um, is one of the most important things that we can do. You know, it, it it's kind of like Paul when he's talking about weakness and <laughs> you know being very upfront about how weak he really is, and uh, especially you know as he is understanding grace and who Jesus is and what Jesus has brought. He's staring face to face with his own brokenness and his inability, right, to um, to get to God, so to speak, without without Jesus and, and the grace that He offers. So there's, but again, he's he's writing it down, right? This willingness to say, "Oh, what a wretched man I am." Yeah, and I think that is a big part of what, as Christians, we need to be willing to do is to say, "Oh, what a wretched." person I am in whatever context that is. So, so we have this truth, you know, but like the man who came to Jesus saying, I believe, mm-hmm. help me in my unbelief. Yep. Right. That's, that's a place we live as well. And that, that that's, that's freeing for us. We don't have to have a watertight answer for everything. Although we believe in the truth of the gospel, 
Um, and, and we don't have to come from the standpoint of we have to have every answer. Mm -hmm. But we do have some answers. I, I don't know. Well, this is really getting to the question that I wanted to ask and really, really focus on today. Is it possible to hold conviction with humility? I think a lot of people in our culture today would say, if you, I mean, if you do believe in, an, in a truth with a capital T, that there is one truth, then you're somehow intolerant or there's an, there's an arrogance about that position. Is it possible to hold truth? Is it possible to believe in truth with a capital T and, and still hold it and do so from a position uh, of humility? Yeah, I um, read a book when I was going through uh, Gordon Conwell for my doctorate, and it was called uh, Preaching to the Post-Everything World. And there was a great statement right at the beginning of the book that said, if we're going to do a good job as preachers preaching the gospel in today's culture, one of the key things we need to do is remember where we came from and the amazing grace that God showed us and how we don't have to have everything put together. We didn't have everything put together when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. I, I came to faith as a child, and God has um, blessed me with growth since then. But just, just remembering where we came from helps us humbles us, keeps us um, in the right posture, I think, before the people that we're talking to. Let, let me bring up one, one other book I read, and uh, we won't go too in-depth on this, but um, Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And he really comes from a news media, and he said, you know, we've moved away from news being um, all about truth or fact to more entertainment. So that's this huge push, early 1980s. He wrote this book. We probably need a rewrite. Um, but then he tackles the education system and he tackles churches. And the idea of, of boy, this push to be entertaining, push to be engaging, um, when really at the core we should be about the truth. And um, so he, he, from a non-Christian perspective, he says, you know, truth is is wanting today. They were much more about opinion. And then pollsters, he says, is, is another step away because they're, they're just polling people's opinions. And then the third one, as you introduce this, is emotion. And oftentimes what we see on news or we have opinions or, you know, the, the, the people that get the microphone are just sharing emotions. And we're, we're not even opinions and we're a long ways away from truth. And so how do, we, how do we move that back to what's the truth and how do we do truth in a way that engages people without settling for <laughs> entertainment, opinions, and emotions that, that water it down? Ben, you were saying uh, something earlier about question asking and asking people's questions. And Sean, you were even a little earlier mentioning um, the that, that our approach shouldn't always be to pull coals in someone's argument, but is there a place for asking people questions uh, to help them see maybe beyond just an emotional response to see, is there a, uh, what, what's the logic behind a particular position that they might hold? Um, or getting to this idea of, is their belief system actually really working for them? What's the yes. role of question asking and then how do we maybe even move beyond question asking to uh, being an effective witness today and pointing yeah. people to Christ. I, Great yeah, question. That is a good question, and I and I think there is a way. There is a way to do that. I think once you've earned the trust of someone, kind of through that process of listening to them, engaging with them, really, I mean, if if you 
if your heart is in a in a place of truly loving people, you know that that I think that would be the hope is uh, I, I'm coming from a place of you know Christ in me. I I, I want to be loving people, and part of how I want to love you is is hear your story and hear about what you're thinking, what you're going through. I do think in the midst of that, there is a place to ask the question, how is that working for you? And, you know, again, there, maybe it's not asked in, in that exact way, but I think there are ways to help ask the question, okay, as I reflect back to you, kind of what you're sharing about what you believe. Now, how is that tangibly working out for you in, in your life? And so I think there's good questions to be, you know, one of the questions, and I, I did mention this a little earlier, but there's kind of a three-part question that I uh, ask folks a, a lot of times when we're kind of in this space. And the, the first question is asking them a little bit about where they, <clears throat> where they believe they've come from. So kind of like just origin questions like how did how do you feel like we got here as people and attached to that one is on the other the other end which is uh, where do you feel like we're going where, where are you headed mm-hmm. so after this life what do you have any sort of belief around what is after this physical life and so as people talk about those two things and there's a ra- a wide range of responses to that right I mean and it but what it does is it helps folks begin to process essentially what they believe. It gets to the heart of essentially who we are as mm. human beings. God says that he's put eternity in the hearts of everybody. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that. And so I think just giving uh, people an opportunity to kind of uncover that, so to speak, uh, is a big part of how I've seen God work anyway. And then there's lots of space in those conversations to, to kind of to move within that. And to certainly at some point, there are times to offer up the, the truth of the gospel. And there's lots of ways to do that as well. It reminds me of something, uh, I believe it was Tim Keller that said this, where you know, an old form of evangelism was providing answers to people's questions because we had really a common foundation of morality and even maybe bits of a worldview. And today, it's really flipped where we want to question people's answers, he says. And that's kind of what I hear you saying of mm-hmm. asking those bigger questions uh, to help people really begin to think through what, 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 is, the, what is this larger system that they're believing about the world, about who they believe they themselves are, who they believe God or whatever they believe to be maybe ultimate reality might be. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a good way of thinking about it instead of providing necessarily answers to people's questions. Of course, we need to do that at some yeah. point, but to begin with questioning people's answers uh, that they give. You know, in those, if I could just jump in, one of those, um, I think in every conversation that I've had around around that topic or around this topic, I've never, at the end of the conversation, uh, in in the years that I was having these conversations, at least in, in the setting that I was in, in mental health. And uh, and then I think even even outside of, of my vocational life there, I've always tried to offer um, to pray with people 
at the end of those conversations. And rarely, if ever, are people opposed to receiving prayer. Mm. And I found that to be a really, um, just an amazing way to, in, in a sense, share the truth of the gospel. If I didn't get the chance during the conversation in the ways that, that, I w- that I'm used to sharing the gospel, uh, th- that for me is, and, and I would even say, I was like, is it okay if I pray? And if they gave me the green light, I would even say, you know, I, is it okay that I pray the way I know how to pray? And, and again, I, I don't, a lot of people didn't really know what that meant, and they, but they would still agree. And then I could, I could just pray, mm. and I would not hold back when I would pray. Mm. And the Spirit would always show up and mm. always move in profound ways. So even if I didn't get to see them kind of you know, make a decision for Christ, I, I knew and, and sensed God's presence and knew he was working. And it was hopefully helpful for them. It, I know it was for me in my own walk, in my own faith journey. Uh, so that's, that's another thing that, you know, that I've experienced. Yeah, that prompted uh, just in, in my life and experience with some people and conversations um, I've tried to be a little bit of a risk taking in that prayer time, um, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I can remember a couple of people that came, one with a particular issue of anxiety, and another one with sleeplessness um, because of worry and concern and different issues. And and when I got done, I said, "I, I want to pray for you," and I prayed specifically about those. I prayed for good sleep. I prayed for a peace yeah. and a quiet. Um, and and what I what I do in that moment is I. I'm saying, hey, I want to talk about God and I want to talk about truth, but God, I want you to speak to this person's heart. And I invite you to come in a powerful way and kind of support. And, and um, you know, in those cases, it's been interesting to hear people loop back and say, how did it go for you? Did, did you sleep? You know, and, and a couple of people have, sleep is a really challenging issue right now for people. I think the anxiety, yeah. worry, yeah. and praying for sleep for someone and then they sleep well, then they look at you a little odd the next time. They're mm-hmm. like, well, I don't know. Maybe it was just just a good night's sleep. Just a coincidence. <laughs> just a coincidence. <laughs> but you know, I, I think there's, I, I think we, we just build, it's like building Lego blocks, right? You mm-hmm. just, you build a truth, uh, you, you build a little bit of a relationship and then you add truth and then you talk about an experience you have or you've built some commonality and it starts to build a foundation in which can carry the truth. Um, the truth of the gospel or the truth of the Bible that mm-hmm. talks about the human soul and marriage or conflict or, you know, all kinds of issues that we, we jump into in Scripture. But that foundation's really important. You're listening to the Raw Reels podcast where we are today talking about holding conviction with humility in a post-truth culture. Ben, what's your response to what Pastor Sean was just saying? I, yeah, so what I was thinking about, Sean, as you were sharing, was the, the importance uh, for, for me personally as a believer to, to enter into those spaces. So I, I'm sure, well, I, I can't speak for you, but as I, as I enter in, into that, those spaces, as I um, take those steps of faith, really, to, to pray for somebody. And you talked about, mm-hmm. you know, praying those specific things. Like, yeah, if your issue is, you know, some type of physical pain, or if your issue is anxiety, or it's depression, or it, 
taking those steps of faith to pray into that and to trust, all right, God, I, I trust that you, that you are who you say that you are, that you are going to meet this person in the way that they need. And that's a, that's a risk, you know, on, on, on my end to, to move into that space, to pray that specifically for them. And so it not only gets me out of the way, but it also, you know, it puts the focus on God. But it is a, it's a step in that journey of faith for me because I'm putting my trust in God saying, God, you, there's nothing that I can do to help this person ultimately, right? Like, God, you are the only answer for this person. And so I, I'm going to, I'm going to put my trust in you by, by praying into this with and for this person uh, that you are going to show up for them in the way that they need. Not, not that that means that they're then, you know, that their anxiety is going to just leave them in that moment right, or that right. they are going to have a good night's sleep the next, you know, this coming night. Um, and I think that's part of the, that's part of the journey is realizing that, okay, I'm going to pray this and believe this. And I completely trust that God could do this in their life, but I don't know if he's going to right. in the way yeah. that I am envisioning it or in the way that I, yeah, we boy, think if, that that person needs it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Here's my best plan for you, but we're going to trust God in this. Yeah. But let, let's talk a little bit about, so this issue of truth, right? We're in a post-truth culture that we have the word of God that we know is true. Scripture reminds us again and again. We have this confidence. So when we come across an idea, this is going to be a little bit of a challenge, come across an idea that just is not right. Um, you, you have a relationship. You have a friendship. You've built some, some camaraderie. How do you, as Tucker, you asked, question their answers? How do you introduce truth? You know, it, it doesn't do any good if we allow people to continue going down a bad path, right? We, we need to warn them. We need to teach them. We need to guide them well. Um, any practical ideas? That's a fantastic question. I, I think of two stories uh, that immediately come to mind. You know, Sean, you, you and I were at in Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago uh, at a conference, and as I was walking to dinner one of the, one evening, there was someone standing on the street corner with a microphone, you know, shouting, you know, America is going to hell and repent, and you know, unless you repent, you're going to hell too. And my my first reaction was, I wish I had a scissors so I could go cut the microphone, you know, from this guy. And then Ben, you uh, a couple of uh, last because week, that's not an effective way yeah, to, I don't to think proclaim truth. I don't think it's an effective yeah, way to proclaim truth. Way. Yes. <laughs> and Ben, last week you you were uh, we were walking to get coffee, and you walked across the street because you saw a gentleman who was struggling with his bike. Um, so we walked over together. I followed, you know, a little ways behind. And you went over and started engaging in a conversation with him. And at the end, I was really struck by the, the fact that you, you offered to pray for him. And, and he was very open and receptive to that. Hmm. So I see those as two stories of um, both, in both instances, perhaps truth was being proclaimed. But the, the way that it was done was vastly different where, I mean, Ben, you were forming a relationship with this individual and then offered to pray and maybe planting some seeds. Where this other guy who's standing on the street corner is maybe proclaiming truth, but the way he's doing it is building so many stumbling blocks or putting yeah. so many stumbling blocks in the way for someone to actually be receptive to that. 
Um, so I think to answer your question, I think it probably begins with building a relationship with the individual yeah. and forming that foundation um, to remove stumbling blocks and allow the gospel to be the only stumbling block uh, for that particular individual. So I think it probably begins with relationship building. Um, One of the things we've talked about as a staff is the uh, reality in our culture of little G gods. And there's so many things that people get in front of God. They, they hold as a higher importance, though they may not realize it. And, and I have found being able to ask a question, when I start to perceive what somebody's God is, so it might be a political party, it might be a particular view towards social, ish, uh, so, so, social justice, mm-hmm. it might be um, around their perspective on their marriage and what's wrong with their spouse. It might be any number of things that I see. And, you know, I really, I'm praying, but I'm also saying, how can I ask a question to, to just help them get perspective on their little G God? And, and try to think of, okay, Lord, help me with scripture here. What, what is the truth that speaks against that God? Um, and, and usually that, you don't get three or four of those in a conversation, but if you can wisely perceive and then bring into that conversation, not in a condemning way, but in a helpful way, here's something I've struggled with, here's something I perceive what do you think about is is your perspective on that political candidate more about finances or about gospel? Um, if you're going to be if you're going to be pro life, can pro life include things like border and things that are about the inner city, not just the unborn? And we want to be pro life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, so it's it's trying to say what, what does the word of God say, and then bring it against that little G God. Yes, but being clear, being courageous, and being kind, maybe. Yeah. The three C's, we'll spell kind with a C. <laughs> that's, that's good. To, to build uh, off of that a little bit, it, what I think about is God as Father. And mm. uh, I think in my experience of being a, being a father here on, on earth, I've, yeah. I've got some kids. and you got a bunch. Yeah, it's, it's one of the most humbling experiences. Yeah. That, that I think I've ever had. But something that I'm trying to balance in that space of being father is I love these kids to pieces, right? Yeah. But in my love for them, I... I lots of truth teaching. Yeah, there's lots of truth teaching. <laughs> yeah. There's lots yeah. of setting up of parameters, creating you know, an environment of, of discipline, but, but from a, a place of love. Yeah. And so to connect that then to our Heavenly Father, who loves us with a perfect love, one that we don't fully comprehend, uh, but recognizing that that love does in, in some ways look similar to how we kind of see that love play out in, uh, you know, in, in our world here. And part of that recognition is God loves us, and because he loves you and I, there, is a, there are parameters that he has set up, right? There are there's yeah. dis- discipline is a part of life, and so I, yeah, I, that's a that's an approach that I've taken at different times to try to help commu- communicate the idea of God in His love for us uh, does not give us free. Well, He He does give us free will, free reign, 
but his will for our, for our lives is that we would live in with that we would live within certain boundaries. Absolutely. That that's not a, a reflection of him being an an overbearing and condemning God, but it's actually a reflection of his love for us. Yeah, that's and, a place of human flourishing. Yeah. Um, that's for self and other. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've only really begun this conversation, but I want to wrap up our time uh, together today. Sean, what, uh, what is one thing you would leave with our listeners? How do, we, how do we hold conviction with humility? I think all of us at this table would agree that it's possible. What, was, what is one thing you'd leave with our listeners? I think to remember where we came from, to remember the, the grace that God has shown us, and to extend that grace to others in a winsome and courageous way. Sean, you took mine, but I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna play <laughs> off that. I, certainly, the the word that came to mind for me was remember. Uh, Psalm 77, verse 13 and 14 say, "Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples." So I'd just say the same kind of thing. Remember regularly who God is and who you are in in light of that. And I think I would uh, I agree with both of those. And I think the, the thing I would add to is that I think people are more resistant to, uh, they're not resistant to ideas as much as they are resistance to, resistant to the way ideas are presented. Hmm. And so I think there is a way of holding conviction with humility. And um, Ben, I think you're, you know, last week was a great example of the way that you approached that, that individual. And I think we probably have all, all of us have ideas of, of folks who we've seen model that really well. We want to thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about Calvary Church, you can visit calvarychurch.us. You can check us out online or in person on Sunday mornings. But we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. It also helps if you leave us a review. We look forward to our conversation next Monday on The Raw Roast. Mm